In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. This is D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, here with the 95th episode of the Bowtie Chronicles podcast. Everything you need to know about the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons went down 26-16 in a futile effort against the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. The score was not indicative of the beatdown, which was taken as the offense was held to 131 total yards, the lowest since they only got 105 against the San Francisco 49ers in December of 1999. That's a while ago. Bad outing all the way around, 4-8. The playoff hopes are down to 1%. Uh, let's hear from Arthur Blank, the owner of the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons uh, owner Arthur Blank. What struck me is I'll take a long view. And uh, what I uh, have to interpret that to mean is that he's not going to react here to what's happening here in the short term. Uh, The long view would include getting all the players back from injury, uh, getting some a good draft situation. You looking like they're in the top 10. Uh, You know, they've paid a lot of guys some money. you know, what are they going to have to do to build the offensive lineup? So he's going to take a, a long measure view of this, not overreact to the 4-8 and eight record and, uh, you know, make his decisions accordingly. So that was from the Falcons owner after that game. Uh, you know, season's been pretty bumpy ride all the way around. Hit, hit the bottom there on Sunday with the, uh, you know, a lot of fans not even showing up. You know, fans that paid good money for good seats uh, found something better to do than come watch their, their team play against a 6-5 and five Ravens team that 
is the top ranked defense in the league. I mean, they, it wasn't like the Falcons were going up against a, you know a, a downtrodden team and didn't perform. This was the uh, one of the best defensive units in the league, and they were able to run the ball. Uh, 49 times and uh, for 207 yards and, and the time clock was 39 minutes, 39 seconds to uh, 20. That's what the Falcons had, a little bit over 20, almost doubled there. But let's hear from quarterback Matt Ryan, who was rather despondent. Uh, after this game, and, and, and rightfully so, they didn't have 100 yards passing until midway through the fourth quarter. It's disappointing. We knew it was going to be tough sledding, obviously. I think statistically they're ranked first in you know, pretty much every category that counts. And, uh, you know, they're, they're a very good defense with a scheme that is relentless, and, and you know, they're very attacking. And um, it was a point of emphasis for us to, to get the run game going. We didn't do a good enough job. We didn't execute as well as we needed to. Uh, we had, you know, some ops. Uh, that were closer than, than might have looked. But consistently, when you're not making first downs, you're not moving the chains, um, it's it's hard to get that going. And you did take some shots down the field to Julio. Um, and I think to Calvin, too. Talk about, you know, just didn't get what you wanted yeah, out of those looks. We didn't. And, you know, against a defense like that, you've got to connect on them because, you know, it's tough to... It's tough to string together 10, 12, 14 play drives uh, against a defense of that caliber. So when you can create some explosive plays, uh, it gives you a much better chance of scoring. And we weren't able to, to connect on them. And, you know, that, that made it even more difficult to overcome. After the uh, opening drive, you all came out, went down the field, got your field goal. Uh, what adjustments did they make to, to kind of slow things down for you guys? Well, I think they continued to pressure uh, throughout the day, and uh, they did a nice job of, with it. Um, we knew they were going to do it, you know, coming into the game. We had a plan for it. We did not execute our plan uh, the way that we needed to. And at the end of the day, it's, it's really as simple as that. We needed to do a better job than we did. Um, we knew kind of how the game was going to go, and, uh, you know, it's disappointing when you put that work in, and it doesn't come to fruition during the game. How do y'all uh, try to keep things together here with four games to play uh, in a four-game losing streak and, you know, trying to get, get your spirit together and go back out here and fight uh, next week against Green Bay? Yeah, we've got to, you know, we've got to get back to work. We've got to find a way to get a win. And, you know, as far as staying together, I think we've got a good group uh, of men in our locker room, um, coaching staff, players, front office, uh, that you know, are willing to work. We need to do our jobs better than we've done up until this point. Um, you know, but the only way I know to do that is to get back to work and get back out onto the practice field and uh, have a focus and a mindset on improving individually so that we're better collectively. And Coach said he feels that um, everybody's playing hard in every aspect, uh, but is it just a matter of not, uh, you know, achieving the goals or executing the game plans of uh, what they want to do or what you all want to do? Yeah, I mean, I think the effort has been good. Um, we need to play well. Um, at the end of the day, I think that's you know the most important thing is to play well, and, and we haven't done that. Uh, yeah, there we go, quarterback Matt Ryan. Uh, I I um I tend to concur. I haven't seen a only uh, effort plays I I saw was in Cleveland where 
where the true font didn't come over and blow up the running back and, and Rocky didn't chase. Uh, but effort hasn't been the problem. Uh, I have a couple theories, and we'll get to those later, on uh, what's happened to the Falcons in addition to the injuries. It's got to be more than that. And we're going to look at a couple theories here at the end and maybe explore them in print for some stories uh, uh, in the future. But let's hear from Grady Jarrett real quick. I was trying to get to the quarterback, you know, and uh, had the opportunity to, you know, go for the ball, get the second at the same time, and came out. Vic went in, picked it up, took it for a touchdown. One of my one of my favorite plays in my career, you know, that we Vic been playing for a long time, and forced to kind of do that together. Was, you think he was going to run out of steam there? Uh, he, got, he got a little light at the end, you know what I'm saying? I feel like that ever happened again. I'm, I ain't going to chase him all the way to the end. Uh, <laughs> it took me a minute to recover after that chase down, but. Uh, you know, it is what it, he, he made a really good play and took it all the way. Grady, what was it like having Deion Jones? It was awesome. It was awesome. And, uh, you know, a sight that we missed. You know, I definitely missed it. And um, it was good to have him back out there, hear his voice back there, and um, have him in a mix of things. Just seeing him get ready before the game and uh, all the work that he put in to fight to get back in this, um, just back in it. You know, no matter where we was at, no matter, you know, whatever we was going through as a team, you know, he his plan was always to come back. And uh, fight with us, and uh, you know that don't go unnoticed, and we we love him for it, you know. So it, it, we missed him. Grady Jarrett talking about Vic Beasley's 74-yard touchdown return. Uh, you know, they have been playing together for a while. Both played at Clemson together and uh, here with the Falcons. So that was a good insight to that. Uh, Next-gen stats at Vic Beasley, who was a high school running back. He looked like it when he picked that ball up and bounced it outside and got going straight north and south. Kind of ran out of steam at the end, but he certainly uh, flashed back to his high school days when he was a running back on that run. Uh, Next Gen Stats said he was going uh, a little bit over 17 miles per hour. Uh, Save Coach Dan here for last. Uh, Got his opening statement and a couple uh, questions, not the whole thing, Uh, but uh, you get the tenor and tone of uh, the coach and, uh, you know, a little bit about his plan on moving forward here. Uh, It's going to be four four games to close out the season. Green Bay, Arizona, at Carolina, and Tampa Bay. Yeah, we'll begin. Uh, tough locker room. And it is that uh, because these guys care like they do. And I told them, man, this is uh, as challenging as we've been in, in a while, uh, certainly since I've been here. Uh, the reality is uh, we got to embrace that hardness that we are in and a part of. Uh, we got an expectation of how this last quarter of football will go. And uh, that expectation is for us to play well. And it's a challenge that we have to overcome. So um, we got a chance to do something about that a week from today. And uh, that's what I told the team in the locker room as we just got finished up. Glad to open up for you guys uh, recap on this game. Yeah, Coach, what, uh, you, you got the 10-7 lead there early, and then uh, just like, like the offense kind of bogged down uh, for most of the day. I thought, uh, you know, we got some points on the first drive as it went down. We certainly uh, you know, had our chances to create some takeaways defensively. I think there was, you know, three or four times uh, the ball was on the ground to, to force one. It was good to see the one uh, get recovered and go score with it. You guys have heard me or covering the team talk about the importance of our turnover margin, and uh, so I thought that was a step in the right direction. But, uh you're for sure right about, especially in the third quarter, um, where we didn't get off the field enough and uh, didn't convert third downs enough in that third quarter. I thought that was a real swing in the game. Usually there's one spot you can kind of go back and look to and say, where did uh, you know we can do that part better? And 
Coach, what's going on in the run game? You weren't able to run the ball again today. Uh, um, 32 yards, I believe it was. Yep, and uh, clearly, uh, you know, no one going in, they had a good run game. And uh, we had said a few weeks ago we were just going to stay commit, committed to it, get our touches to go. Um, and when we get to the end of the game again today, uh, we're going to do a drop-back game the whole time. That makes it tough. Um, we have uh, not opened the holes uh, and the space to getting it at the spot and the level that we uh, have come to understand is acceptable. And uh, we'll continue to dig in to look to find ways because uh, that part of our game plan uh, has to be uh, the same function as everything else for us to, you know, work it the way that we need to. So um, when that's out of whack uh, and you become one-dimensional, you know, the basic way changes how you win. What did you say to try to rally them a little bit, you know, or at least to get them moving forward after, you know, such a tough string of uh, four losses here and as you got to get ready for Green Bay now? Yeah, I did, I did talk to him about that. The, uh, the natural tendency is when you're in a tough spot, uh, you know, is to, you know, you could have some separation. What I said is that's not who we are as a team. And uh, stand up, fight for one another, stand next to one another, fight for it. The energy, the preparation, the mindset coming into this game I thought was on point, you know, in terms of where the guys were at. And uh, I expect us to do the same thing again this week heading into this game. So I told him, you got a chance to do something about it a week from today, this feeling that we have. The guys are sick and pissed and disappointed, disbelieved, frustrated, all the things that go uh, when you don't play like you're capable of. And uh, those emotions are real because you care a lot. And uh, so that's okay. But uh, we got to find a way to get back to it and fight again tomorrow, put a good plan together, uh, head into next weekend. That was Coach Dan. He got a plan for fighting on here in the season. The season on the brink is uh, pretty much over. Uh, the Falcons will not make it to the playoffs for the third time in a row, barring some uh, miracle. Uh, the playoff picture, let's look at it. Since we'll be hosting the Super Bowl, we'll see. Um, you know, we got to stay on top of the, the big playoff picture, even though the Falcons will be moving on to the draft and other things. But the Rams have clinched their division and the playoff berth at 11 and 1 uh, coming out of the west. Saints are 10 and 2 in the south. Bears 8 and 4 in the north. Cowboys 7 5 in the east. The playoff wildcard teams as of today <clears throat> before the Eagles and Redskins play tonight. Uh Seattle seven and five and Washington six and five. Uh, the outside looking in group, uh five teams in, ahead of the Falcons. <clears throat> Vikings six five and one. Panthers six and six. Eagles five and six. Bucks five and seven. Packers four seven and one. Then you have the Falcons, Giants, and Lions at four and eight. Cardinals three and nine, forty nineers two and ten. So um, a couple theories of what happened here this year. The injuries certainly, no question about it. But I think um, the team relied too heavily on its next man up theory, uh, thinking their talent was better than it was. I think you got to do it. It's it. I'm gonna. I'm working on this theory here that it's not a next man up. It's a next man up plus theory. You need the next man up, of course, because he's gonna have to play. But I need some pluses from the people around him. You know, I need. I need the uh, established players to do more. So Devon Vondre Campbell was an example. He did more. Okay, uh, we needed. The, they needed Vic. 
Beasley and Tack McKinley to do more. Uh, Grady Jarrett did more. Trufant and uh, Offer needed to do more. They need to be tighter in coverage because you knew the rush wasn't going to be there. They need to come up and run support and lay some people out. I think Brian Poole's playing about as hard as he can play. You know, he's a he's a limited talent guy from uh, UDF. They tried to put him at safety, and it, it just didn't work uh, for the one game. Uh, so, you know, he did what he could. So it's got to be the next man up plus theory. Uh, if you're going to succeed, because the, the next man up is the next man up for a reason. So you need the established players to add that plus on top of the next man up. And we saw it work in some instances. In some instances, it did not work. Uh, and then the acknowledgement of the reality of who you are. Uh, Coach Dan tried to continue to play like he had a good defense. Uh, deferring at the Saints was, was one of the reasons, one of the ones that I point to. No way he should have put that team out there uh, to start that game when you knew what the defense was. You should have tried to outscore them and uh, get your defensive lead and go from there. Another theory... And we wrote about this on September the 12th, 2018. It's John Clayton's Theory of 150. And uh, you can Google Theory of 150, myajc.com. And we talk about uh, under Clayton's Theory of 150, a decline is forthcoming for the offensive line. Now, we've been a witness to that this season. Alex Mack has not been what he uh, has been in the past. Ryan Schrader's having a tough go over there on the right side. Of course, the two guards are out. And Jake Matthews has, you know, been good. Not great. Uh, but very good. I would give him very good on the nicest day. Uh, but... We've seen the line not be able to protect the quarterback. Last four games here, not be able to open up holes. And under the theory of 150, this decline was predictable. So uh, the theory, you can go read it, but it's basically, hey, when you add up the ages of your offensive linemen and it's over 150, you know, they're going to, or he's near 150, they're gonna, there's going to be a decline forthcoming. And Clayton has uh, monitored this for, the, for a long time. And we point to some of the examples uh, of teams that, you know, they had a good year and then the decline came. And that's clearly what's happening here with the Falcons as they can't get a yard uh, on fourth and one. On fourth and one on uh, Sunday, all three of the interior linemen got knocked back into the backfield. That's just not, that's unacceptable. Uh, not going to get the job done. So so bad that they went to the Wildcat and threw a bomb in zero base coverage. Um, you know, hey, good call, just didn't execute it. But the decline of the line, the next man up. So that hurt the offense because they were expecting the offense to carry the team. That's why they weren't sweating the injuries that bad. They figured they could outscore people. And then once folks got Sarkeesian's new and best stuff on film, here after the eighth game, four and four, hey, they've been shutting it down. And uh, blowing up this line, uh, no outside zone runs. They can't get to the, the 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 outside stretch runs that the offense is built off of. When they do try it, it gets blown up. Uh, the defenders just run to the spot and turn the play back in. 
Running back Devontae Freeman, I don't think he would fare much better behind this line, but he certainly runs the stretch better than Coleman, who's been missing in action from uh, talking to the fans here. That's why I thank Michael Turner when I saw him at the game on Sunday. I was like, I don't remember a year over the past 15 years of covering the the team or beast being around the team, I, oh five, so that's twelve years. And uh, the running back, Warwick Dunn or Michael Turner, they were always at their locker to talk to the media every day of the week. We have to send the PR staff to find Coleman uh, every week. And uh, uh, we'll continue to do that and try to get something out of him this week. Uh, you know, he's um, he has to stand up and do better, especially given the history of Warwick Dunn and Michael Turner, the good running backs who have ran before him and have talked to the fans on a weekly basis. So we'll get, get on top of that. Hopefully he'll be in the open locker room today uh, to give us his terms on, you know, nobody, you know, what's going on with the running game and give us his vision and, uh, you know, how they're going to stay after, you know, whatever he's, you know, maybe he doesn't have anything to say and just tell us that. But uh, he uh, definitely, as the lead back, has not carried the torch that Warwick Dunn and Michael Turner carried so nobly over the years. So we'll get on that for you, too. We're going to wrap it up here in the 95th episode of the Bowtie Chronicles podcast. Uh, hey, kind of the pressure's off. They can go play now. Play for pride. Play for your position. Uh, there's going to be some, uh, I'm already hearing it's going to be a busy offseason. So, uh I understand that when you when your uh, roster from uh, 21 to 50 doesn't perform the way you know you expect it to when you have on injury, so you better get that roster a little bit tighter and a lot better players in here. And you got a major undertaking of revamping that offensive line. Uh, you know, moving forward, are you going to be an outside zone scheme team? You better get some more guards and tackles that can move in here uh, and hold. Hold that thing up. Can Matt Gano play? Can Harlan play? These guys on the practice squad, we might get to see some of them in that Carolina and Tampa Bay game. So uh, uh, they got to find out if these guys can play now and uh, get some more talent in here, uh, upgrade, get your healthy guys back, and uh, don't want to waste the prime of Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. They're wasting uh, – Austin Hooper's breakout year this year, but moving forward, they got to figure out how to get back into the playoff mix and how to be a Super Bowl contender with the uh, franchise quarterback that they have now. So with that, here we're going to sign on off here. We're going to get ready for a busy Monday in town here. Going to head on out to practice. The uh, open locker rooms at two thirty. Coach Dan's at three fifteen, and uh, I think the some some basketball team called the Warriors or something are coming to town tonight. Some of the media contingent is going to have to try to get the Flowery Branch and then down to uh, Phillips Arena or State Farm Arena for some basketball action tonight. But with that, hey, we ninety fifth episode of the Bowtie Chronicles is a wrap. You all take care and have a great weekend. Should be an interesting game in Green Bay. They fired their coach, Mike McCarthy. Have new uh, Joe Philbin will be the interim. Should be an uh, interesting week getting ready for the Green Bay Packers. Take care and have a great week.
AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop.